Hero's journey is all about living a life worth writing about. Have you ever wished to write your own memoir? If so, make sure you tune in and watch today's episode as I'm going to speak to a very special guest on what it takes to live a life worth writing about and the process of writing a memoir. Hi and welcome to Leave Your Hero's Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Pesite. I've lived through multiple hero's journey as a pharmacist, a founder of a social network for foodies, an author of philosophical book, a speaker, and also a coach. I also write the Monday Motivation newsletter, which you can subscribe for your weekly dose of inspiration and practical wisdom. And I'll put all the description in the links below. So today I'm very excited to speak to this guest. She has just written a new memoir which documents her life for four years that she lived in Yangon, Myanmar, which is quite a politically um, country in turmoil. So I'm really curious to know why she made the decision. And she's also a journalist and her Articles has been published in many notable publications such as CNN, BBC, GQ, uh, Australian Geographics, and also Marie Claire on topics such as lifestyle, technology, and business. Please and help me to welcome the author of the new memoir, Our Home in Myanmar, Jessica Madet. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I'm really curious, what is your thought process or decision making when you decided to go to Myanmar? As we know, Myanmar is no more like a politically, you know, turmoil country. So can you just um, let us know how your hero's journey started? Yeah, well, I was actually living in Bangladesh, so a neighbouring country, um, but I'd always wanted to visit Myanmar, um, initially just as a tourist, but that hadn't been possible. And then when there was an opportunity to work at um, the best-known newspaper there, the Myanmar Times, I jumped on the opportunity because I had a mutual friend. But the reason I wanted to go to Myanmar was because it was starting to show signs of opening up to the world. Um, you know, it had been a, a terrible, brutal dictatorship for 50 years, but um, the generals were saying, you know, we, we want to have elections in 2015. They released Aung San Suu Kyi from house arrest the year before. Right. And I thought that would be such an incredibly historic thing to witness. And as a journalist, to, to right. be reporting on these kinds of changes was just you know, I, I leapt at the chance and my husband agreed. Um, so we headed off with um, nothing, really. We had no belongings except our cat. Wow. <laughs> and, um, we lived with our cat in a hotel for three months because um, when you're on a tourist visa, it's really complicated, but you have to have working permits to rent a house. So right. uh, we lived a very strange lifestyle for about three months. Um, and it, so it took time to kind of settle in. Right. So how would you say your transformation as a person, say the first year when you arrived in Myanmar and the fourth year when you left, how have you been transformed as a person? I learned a lot from Myanmar. I mean, you when you live in a country that's been through so much, it gave me perspective. Yeah. Um, I'm a very impatient, flighty person mm -hmm. and I can be 
demanding, I guess. Um, And I, you know, I get outraged at any sense of injustice, you know. And then you go to a place where my co-founder, the co-founder of the newspaper where I worked, Mm -hmm. had been in prison by the time I arrived for eight years. He had another eight years to go. And he was in prison for a retrospective crime. So at the time, his conduct was not illegal. But the military changed the law. So they said, this is now a law. You went to the wrong authority for for passing the newspaper's content through the censorship. And he got a 14-year sentence. And he spent three years of that in solitary confinement. Wow. So he he came out from prison about, I think it was about six, eight months after I joined the newspaper. And he, he went back to work the next day. He still was the same, people said to me, the same beautiful person he was when he went in so you can't not be affected by these kinds of stories and everybody almost everybody I interviewed had been to prison and done really you know prison is pretty awful in Myanmar you always get solitary confinement I mean it's atrocious Mm. so I got perspective number one and I, I also toughened up a little bit because it's not an easy place to live. You often go without electricity. Um, water supplies are cut almost on a daily basis, just in your in your house. You just suddenly don't have water. Right. Um, all the things we get, uh, all the things we take for granted in um, yeah. Western world or a developed country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I still, and I hope it doesn't wear off, but I'm right. still grateful for the little things. Mm. And you know, a lot of people get really outraged by our politicians in Australia, but I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, they're benevolent. Like, they actually want us to be healthy and educated and have opportunity. I'm like, that's all fine by me. Sure, they're imperfect. Right. Um, And so especially with COVID, the the situation in Myanmar is the, the military confiscated all the vaccines and used them for themselves. They're not treating people in public hospitals. They turn people away. They have intercepted charities delivering oxygen supplies and and stolen it so that the charities can't help the people. So it just completely shifted my life focus. Um, And at the same time, the people of Myanmar are so beautiful. They are so inspiring. Their grace and their ability to forgive like I met people who forgave the people who tortured them yeah it's just extraordinary so that's a really like I feel so fortunate to have been a part of that of of that society because that's a real gift I think in life to have you know yeah it's like you learn by osmosis (laughs) yeah I'm I'm I am still the same impatient person (laughs) Um, but I've toned it down a little bit, you know? Yes. No, I get what you're saying. Like, I'm also a type A personality, so I really get it. Like, you know, chop, chop and all that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think everybody have the innate quality, but how, you know, we are like a sharp edges, but over time, we kind of round it ourselves, but your innate quality is still there, but it's the degree that we learn. And, you know, life is dynamic. You know, we're not the same person, you know, we were yesterday than today, although we still, you know, retain our innate qualities, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's great. So what makes, uh, what, what, what's the decision or thought process when you thought, oh, this is a story that's worth writing about? 
what gone through your head? Well, it's funny, and I've been thinking about it. I'm not sure if I ever truly believed it was a story worth writing about, my own story. Right. I did have to fight off doubt all the way through writing the book Mm -hmm. Um, because I, you know, as I said, I am not a journalist who goes to war zones. This isn't a book about, um, you know, conflict between the different ethnic groups. I'm not on the front line. It was my experience as an expat living in a country and yes I met fascinating people mm. um but was was it was I me as the vehicle like was that enough the right. whole time I'm like is this enough is this enough right. and you don't really know until the book is published however yeah. um as I was writing the last chapter of the book the coup suddenly took place in Myanmar on the 1st of February and I had a completely different perspective I was writing what I thought was an optimistic kind of lighthearted book about the opening up of Myanmar Mm. and what that change was like but I thought my book is the first of many many books Mm -hmm. about the new Myanmar you know where KFC comes and Coca-Cola comes back and life is not so difficult um now I think gosh is it actually a history book it's taken on a new significance that I could never have known it would have Um, And that has made me rethink my second book, which Mm. is simply about me for a year. And I thought, I've always just thought that is not enough. That is not a book. And now I'm like with COVID-19, there is no more travel. There is no more travel. Mm. So I felt, do you know what? You should write what is important to you. Worry about it later because our, our life is such that history is changed and, it, and it's made and then suddenly what seems so ordinary like life in the 1920s yeah. in 2020 is absolutely fascinating because it's not the same anymore so that's what I'm going to do I've decided is to stop being riddled with self-doubt and and if it's a topic to me yes. then pursue that because it's what I feel strongly about in my heart and I still think I know that my second book will probably this is some eat pray love <laughs> right you know, memoir right I want to record it so I'm doing it yes yes no I totally get what you're saying that's what was my first experience uh writing my first book too because I've always also wanted to write a book but you know you always think that you need some sort of external validations like oh now you have the authority to write so it's not until I was met with an accident like hey come on if I want to write a book who's stopping me right so Exactly. That's why, like, this is what I call, I label them as the inner dragons that you have to slay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in fact, I think the process of writing the book, like, you become, because you have to conquer all those, like, writing is not the hard part. It's actually conquering all the doubts, the fear that yeah. is hardest. Would you agree? And yeah, I would. And, you know, also, it wasn't just my own self-doubt. I mean, publishers and agents had said to me, you are not enough. <laughs> you know, you are not, when I'm, because I self-published my book and it did, it got the idea and the book proposal got to an acquisitions meeting of a publishing company. Mm. So I was really close to getting a publishing deal. But the feedback that came back is, you are not famous. Mm. Um, Myanmar is not in the news enough. And see, look, that changed. Um, and it just won't sell because a memoir needs to be written by someone who's famous and you don't have enough followers on Twitter and social media. Right. So 
you know, I was, I was saying, well, actually I'm going to do it anyway. And I decided instead of getting another 10 more rejections, just go and do it. And again, I'm glad I did because if I was to write the book now, if I'd been delayed in trying to get a deal, I wouldn't write the same book because Myanmar's changed. So it wouldn't be as hopeful a book. But, you know, when you self-publish, there's a huge amount of self-doubt, which is no no publishing company was willing to back me, you know. So... Not good on you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it feels nice when a reader, you know, someone I don't know writes on Amazon, you know, I got a lot out of this book. I didn't know anything about Myanmar. You do feel validated by that kind of thing. But I certainly wouldn't say that, like, the doubts have gone or anything like that, you know. It's, it's hard when you're on your own and you're like yep. trying to tell everyone I've written a book and don't have any, you know, I mean, I have a publicist in New Zealand, um, but it's, it's still not the same, you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. So what, tell me, what, how long does it take you to write the memoir and what's your writing process like? For somebody who are thinking of writing a memoir, what do you think are the first step or what advice would you give given that you've written one? Um, for me, it's all about the chapter outlines. I need to know where I'm going. Not everybody is the same, but once my chapter outlines were done, I know the significance of a small event back in chapter three, because in chapter eight, Obama's going to come back again. You know, so I'm kind of setting things up and then I know what to exclude to keep the pace going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of people, I think I'm quite unusual in this regard, but I write every chapter and I really, I complete each chapter as I go. I'm not the kind of writer that very quickly completes the first draft right, and then right. goes back and re-edits. I am painfully slow on each chapter. So one chapter could take me a month. I think one chapter took me six weeks. Right. You know, I mean, I'm a full-time journalist. And mm-hmm. so I have to carve out the time where I can. It's not like six weeks of full-time. Of course. Um, yeah. But it's a, I spend a lot of time until I'm completely happy with each chapter. Mm-hmm. And then once my, when my first draft is done, it's actually complete and it's ready for the first editor. Right. And then the editor will come to me and then we'll edit it you know, together. Um, but it is, the changes are not huge. Right, right, right. Okay. So what would you say in your process of writing the book, what is the biggest challenge that you face? Um, it's, I think what to leave in and what to leave out. Like, it's a fun challenge. How how much of my life am I going to share? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's quite vulnerable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, if people don't like your memoir, they don't like you because right. it's you. They are reading about you. They are, you know, judging your relationship, your professional conduct. I mean, I got sacked from the Myanmar Times. So, right, right. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but I, and the feedback that I've got is people have said, you're really honest. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one, the Lonely Planet Myanmar author, I did a podcast with him the other day and he said, I do not do your journalism. You are so honest. And I was like, what do you mean? Right, right. <laughs> um, I give a lot of myself, but it's funny because I was like, I didn't give everything. I didn't give close to everything. I could have told you so much more. Right. Um, but that's my style. And I don't want to give, I want to give enough that I'm comfortable with and that makes it interesting. 
I feel like I can't hold back because if I'm asking you to read my memoir, yes. I need to give you a piece oh. of my heart, of you know? Um, and to be self-deprecating and no, I hate false modesty. I hate the humble brag. Mm -hmm. um, so I try, I really try to, to avoid that. And like I said to my editor, if you find any humble bragging, can you just put a big line through it? Because it, it drives me insane when other people do it. Right. So I didn't want to do that myself. But at the same time, mm -hmm. the reader, you need to gain the respect of the reader um, because they don't want to read about someone who's, you know, has no clue or is, you know, on a self-destructive path. Mm. So it's sort of the entirety of how you're presenting yourself is something that I reflect on a lot and which is what I'm doing now because the book I'm writing now, I was 25 um, and I was a huge risk taker. So mm. at what point will people turn off? Like yesterday I had a review on Amazon right. and the girl said, um, she's really honest. She seemed to have a great relationship with her husband, but I didn't need to know about all her smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol because it seemed excessive. <laughs> So right, I'm like, oh, right, right. Um, I mean, that was my lifestyle as an expat yes. in Asia. Like a lot of people drink and smoke heavily. Right. And I did cut that out. But I know that that's not for everyone. Right. I think when you cut part of yourself out of memory, they don't have a full picture, right? That's why it's so, such a vulnerable thing to write a memoir. And I really admire people who can actually do that because to expose yourself, yeah. And you know, the world is, is such a harsh place. Like even though you do yeah. anything great, there's always some haters as well. So yes. this is a risk you have to take or the other way is not to show up at all. So <laughs> the choice is. That's the choice. I mean, you know, this for me, this is a long-term mm. vocation, hopefully. You know, I have ideas for two more books. Mm. Um, so I just... I have to, I just have to be myself. And in the beginning, like the first drafts of my of my book mm -hmm. were terrible because it was not me. I was trying way too hard. And I was also writing in a way that was like really aloof, as if like I didn't really care. Right. Um, and I and surprise, surprise, I didn't get a publishing deal with it. I think this is a much better book, but by the time it was a much better book, I was too impatient to get a publisher. I was like, I want it published now. <laughs> so, and my, my plan though is for my next book is to have it published with a traditional publisher. Mm -hmm. And I, I was, my hope is that it's easier because I've already published one book. Yes, yes, yes. I think that the main to get, I mean, it's just to start from somewhere because by the time yeah. you wait till you're perfect or in, you know, in your own assumption that I'm ready, you're never ever going to be ready you right yeah. I mean do something first and make it better for the next you learn and then do it next one and next iterate after that well I mean I see this book as my internship book mm -hmm. so I wanted to be a journalist so much I qualified in London with the National Council I learned shorthand you know I was an accredited newspaper journalist and I just couldn't get a job not a paid job I got internship after internship right. so I ended up making quite the desperate move is I moved to Bangladesh and I did a six-month internship and by the time I finished that internship I had a, a full-time job at another newspaper in Bangladesh my plan had been to move back to London I thought armed with six months full-time experience someone will give me a job mm. um, I ended up staying in Asia and I'm so glad 
that I did, but I had to be an intern. And I was like 28 years old when I was an intern, you know? So with this book, I'm like, okay, you're an intern again, but you're going to actually get experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I hope for the rest of my life to have a publisher um, and go down that channel. But I just couldn't take no for an answer. Like I had to, I had to get the book out. Right, right, right. That's great. No, good on you (laughs) to have the courage (laughs) to do it. Um, So let me see. What is the main takeaway that you want people to get uh, from the book or what does this uh, book appeal to? Who are your audience? Well, I mean, again, I thought a lot of people that like my main audience would be tourists to Myanmar mm-hmm. tourism has sadly shut down because because of COVID and because of the the military returning it's you know it's Yangon has become like a war zone mm-hmm. um so it's now it's almost kind of a piece of nostalgia so people who you know who did travel but you know no one's traveling um so I hope the message for the book from the book is what Myanmar can be, which is an incredible country that was capable of so much and it really had a bright future. It's a very difficult journey economically after 50 years of isolation and, and the military really mismanaged the economy. So, you know, there was such a long way to go. I'm worried about even if democracy is restored, that the setback will be immense for Myanmar. You have to, everyone's gonna have to build back up. And all these amazing partnerships that were formed have been smashed to smithereens because everyone's sort of, all the expat community have evacuated basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So I hope that for future generations of Burmese, that it's just a record of the 10 years, like it was a 10 year um, experiment, people are calling it with democracy, but also a hopeful book that there's no reason why if the military can be booted out again, that Myanmar can just get back on the path that it was um, and embrace the, the changes, all the positive changes that were occurring. And that was society as a whole that was doing that in such a beautiful way. And there was so much healing that needed to happen, but people wanted to move on. People were not, some, sometimes people have vendettas and they avenge the death of, of their parents or their, their loved ones, but Burmese people are not like that. Um, so I really, I really hope that democracy is restored and then there's more books just like mine that come out. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And where can they find the book? Um, well, you can get my book in a lot of places. It's at Dimmick's readings. Like I have a distributor in Australia, so it's in all the bookstores. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get it online from Booktopia and Amazon. I also recorded the audio book if you prefer audio. Um, so it's just, if you just, um, you know, plug it, plug in our home in Myanmar into Google, yeah. um, it will come up with, you know, your preferred okay. retailers. Right. Okay, cool. I'll put the description in the links below as well. Okay. All right. So before we end, uh, I've just got a few rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> the first one is uh, the hero or heroes in my life is or are. Um, from a literary point of view, it would be Georgia Orwell, because I think he's the best writer I've ever read. And he's written about Myanmar as well. So um, I just love his books. He, I, I just, you know, I, everyone, we always try to emulate someone else, but his quote about 
you know, good prose is as clear as a window pane. I just love that. And I'm always just trying to simplify, simplify. Um, he also has a beautiful magic to his writing that I don't have, but I just try to be simple and straightforward like George Orwell, easy to understand. Um, my parents also, because they're really good people. Um, my dad had quite a difficult childhood, but he did not ever seek um, retribution or anything. And he just gave us such a beautiful upbringing. And my mum as well is like, always answers the phone whenever I call. Like she's always, she's always listening to me and like, you know, she's my go-to person when I have a crisis or a small problem. Yeah. She's always like, it was fine. You didn't sound bad, but also very honest. So I don't feel that she's like bigging me up falsely. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. And I, and then I, I mean, I think also like um, in terms of like women leaders in the world, it's funny, you know, Angela Merkel, I have a lot of respect for. Okay. Like the generalization today, she's done 16 years and she's so steady. You know, I admire that. I'm not like that. And she's going out. Like my, my hat goes off to her. She's going out. In the supermarket, I saw her somewhere in the post. Like she's just standing in line at supermarket like everybody yeah. else. I saw that. She has not let this get to her head. She does not seem like a power tripper. Yes. And she's so popular. She could just keep winning elections, but she's going out on a high. Like she's more popular than any of the other people who are now, you know, competing right. for who's going to be the next chancellor. I think she's pretty cool. Mm. What, what do you think was a common dominator or the characteristics of your heroes, you think? You think that's I, I think so. Yeah, I think someone who rises above their circumstances, mm. to me, that makes for a hero because yes. you can be dragged down mm. and everything can be, you know, not your fault. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it because everything was too hard or you can rise above. And mm. I, that's what I admire in people. Okay, yes, that's great. And uh, what's the most surprising thing that you learned about yourself uh, living abroad or what your, yeah. Um, I think it's funny because I'm not an organized person and maybe, I mean, I'm 40 now, but right. now I'm quite organized and I like my routine and I like things set up mm -hmm. a week in advance. I don't like pantsing it anymore. Um, and I feel like living abroad, like in Myanmar, you plan for the unexpected mm -hmm. and then something different unexpected happened and you still, <laughs> you know, could not plan for it. Um, but it made me realize the value of planning because things do happen all the time. Um, so that, you know, and again, it may be a maturity thing, but the way that I conduct myself professionally has changed as a result of living in places that can be quite chaotic. You know, there's no, um, there's no sort of nine to five, shall we say, I never had that lifestyle. So now to make things work, I build in that extra time. Mm, okay that's great um why do you think that everyone should write a memoir let's put a case here do i think that everyone should no, write a memoir I, said, I put a case here why everybody should write a memoir why do you think that's the case well because you change like you change as a person and so if you write a memoir as opposed to getting to the end of your life and writing your autobiography from the point where you are this sort of mature, enlightened human being, it's quite fun with the memoir. 
I mean, I have changed so much. Like I'm a parent now. Mm. I have not had a hangover in I don't know how long. I don't smoke. You know, I have kids. I go to bed early. This is not the person in the book that you will read about. You know, I almost feel like I should put a disclaimer at the back. (laughs) I have changed. changed. Um, You know, so, but it's fun. Like when I, I'm sure when I read back on this book, say in 10 or 15 years, Mm-hmm. I'll be like, whoa, you know, I was fully wild. Um, so I think if you write a memoir, you kind of um, freeze that part of your life. You get it down, you know, you focus on a few years, five years or whatever, and then you forever have it the way that you wrote it. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to, if you wait until the end of your life, you're not going to write it in the same way, yeah. you know, and your recollections won't be as vivid. So if you get it down now, you have the, it, I guess the, it, it'll be fun to look back on. Right. Yeah. I've um, actually written like my own I put bullet points and in a way it makes me more conscious about the life that I want to create because I, if I'm going to write a memoir, I better leave a life that's worth writing about. Right. So yeah. Kind of, yeah. Put you in that path yeah. I mean, as well. Do everything. I'm the kind of person I do everything, you know, even when I shouldn't, Mm. Um, but I also know that difficulty and sadness and, you know, real sadness actually makes for good writing later. And that is a comfort (laughs) because if you have a great, happy life, Mm. there's nothing in that to write about. Mm. You've got to have some hard lessons. You know, what does, what's that saying? You know, you're either learning or winning. And if you just win all the time, there's not that much introspection. So, you know, If you don't slay any dragons, you're not a hero, right? The virtue exactly. of being a hero is by slaying dragons. Exactly. Nobody wants to read a story when everything goes well for them. Right? No, and you've just got a taser gun and, you, you know, it's like so easy. It has, there has to be some difficulty and pain. Yeah. To, and also to grow. Like, um, you know, pain is a sign of growth. Like grief is yourself realizing that you have to move on and, and let go of, you know, whatever it was that was dear to you and move on. Yeah. And what's the best uh, advice that you ever received or given to people? The best advice was a line in a movie mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remember who, I think it was, um, no, I can't, I can't say with any certainty. Right. Yep. Um, but it was, the line in the movie was, know what you want and how to ask for it. Mm. And I love that because sometimes it's so hard to work out, like, what do I want from my life? Mm. Often I'm seized with this deep passion. I want to be a journalist. I want to write a book. And then how do I ask for that? How do I get a job? Okay. When do I stop asking for that and just go and make it happen? You know, but in, in, in life with so many things like professionally, um, asking for what you want in a not passive aggressive way is such such a key skill right and I'm still I'm still trying to work that one out um but I think being bold enough to ask for what you want and to ask for it in a way that the answer is going to be yes makes for a happy life great (laughs) that's a great advice (laughs) and uh complete descendants I would describe my hero's journey as um as overcoming obstacles um not becoming over overpowered with bitterness Mm. um and still smiling Mm. so 
even during that journey, even at the most difficult times, mm-hmm. right at the most difficult times, still being able to laugh mm-hmm. and be like, this is crazy. That to me is good because I, for me, you want to be happy. Like you've just, we've just got this life. Mm-hmm. And so even if in the, the dark times and even if it's with a black kind of humour, Mm. I think that's a wonderful thing and that's something I admire in other people because it's that spirit to to keep going um, and to enjoy yourself even when other people don't want you to, to defy them, you know what I mean? So sometimes, like myself, if I'm having a bad day, I'll just be like, this is ridiculous. Like go to bed, start again, your stars are not aligned. Um, But when it's really... Yeah, like I, I admire sports people when they, like someone like Ash Barty, she's pretty cool. She'll lose a, a grand slam. She'll yeah. be like, you know what? I'm just going to keep training tomorrow. And I think you're yeah. amazing. You didn't have a hissy fit. You're so strong in your mind um, and you're a professional. And that's the kind of, I, I want to be like that as well. Mm-hmm. That kind of reminds me because I play tennis and in Wimbledon, as the, the players goes out, they put, um, I think it's a poem, I can't remember the name, treat both triumph and defeat the same, like they're both like imposters, uh, treat those two imposters the same in triumph and defeat. And that's, oh. like, that's so yeah, that's amazing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of gave me little shivers. <laughs> Yeah, like life, every day is a new opportunity. It just doesn't, as long as you're in the game, which means you're alive. Yes. You can make a change. It's not the end. Yes. Yeah. And I would, I mean, I, um, it's, it's a bit somber, but Anne mm. Frank, oh, yeah. um, one of my favorite quote, quotes in the world, and I thought about it during COVID. Mm. Um, she said in her diary, I don't think of all the misery. I still see all the beauty that remains. Mm. And so she would be looking out from her attic. You know, she observed things like flowers blooming that she could see outside, really small, yes. you know, small, small acts of beauty between people. And, I mean, she was in the worst possible circumstances. And the fact that she could say that and someone at her age, I think that's so beautiful. So you know, during the COVID lockdowns, I try to still see all the beauty and that's, you know, my kids being able to go for a walk, the sun is shining, things like that. And to, to actively see them and not to dismiss them and only look at, because you could just look at the negative stuff at the moment, couldn't you? But to try and keep your head above water. Mm -mm. The the extraordinary in the ordinary, right? Like, Before this, we always live for the highlights of our life, but pandemic, you know, make us focus what yeah. is the highlight of our daily life. And- yeah, we've really slowed down. We've gotten back to basics. We've gone back to old fashioned forms of family fun. And it is enough. It is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? But, you know, when the news is really bleak and the numbers just keep going up and people are dying and, like, I see people in PPE going into the house next door yeah. and it's like, oh, I'm in a sci-fi mm. movie. Mm. Okay, what else is around that isn't all scary and dark, you know? And also when you're a parent, like, you have to keep, you have to stay happy. I don't want to scare right. my children, you yes. know? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so they can know that there's a global pandemic on and I'm not telling them, you know. I'll tell them later when they're older, when it's over. Get read the history book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
All right. Thanks, Jessica. So the, my main takeaway from our conversation today is that um, it's so great that you don't wait for the external world to say, yes, go and publish <laughs> your book. And you just go for it. And I really commend you for that. And that took a lot of courage. I know that from even just writing like my, my own little book or whatever, and to write a memoir, which is really raw, you know, you just kind of open yeah. up. And for the world to see, and that takes a lot of courage. So thank you for writing the book. And as you said, there's more to come and look forward to that. Yeah. More to come, more to come. More to come. Well done. And um, yeah, you're a courageous woman. And as you said, it's not what is what you have gone through that define you. And, mm. um, and I'll so, keep growing. Yeah. I'm sure. I hope. <laughs> you will. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. Um, so I'm gonna. So anything else you want to tell the audience? Uh, where is the best place they can find you, or um, do you write any blogs? Or where's the best place to find yeah, you? Yeah, just my website. My website, and that has my blog. It's okay. you know all in one. Um, and you can buy signed copies of the book, um, which is jessicamardet.com. Great. Thank you. <laughs> So thank, thank you. you for joining me today, everybody. I hope you get a great insight on what it takes to live a life worth writing about, how to raise occasion. Don't wait for the world to say yes to you. Say yes to yourself first and take the courage to just show up. If you want more motivation, you can join my weekly newsletter, Monday Motivation on my website, which I'll put at the link below. And until uh, the next episode, live a life worth writing about. I'll see you soon.